Um, okay, so here's what we're going to do. We are in Leviticus, if you didn't know. We're in chapter 21 and 22, guys. There's only, I actually don't know how many chapters, 27. We're like really close to finishing. Uh, hey, actually be praying about what we should be in next because I don't know. So maybe just ask God and he'll tell you. Um, but we only have honestly like, yeah, after this, like six more, five more. So we're going to read, this is another one of those, like, all right, we're going to read kind of a good amount. We're going to read all of chapter 21 and all of chapter 22. So that's like 50 some verses. Um, I'm going to read them and then pray and we will get into it. Leviticus 21, 22. I'm reading out the ESV. Here we go. And the Lord said to Moses, guys, just God speaks. Just let that be a thing. Oh, yes. Okay, here we go. And the Lord said to Moses, speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, no one shall make himself unclean for the dead among his people, except for his closest relatives, his mother, his father, his son, his daughter, his brother, or his virgin sister who is near to him because she has no husband. For, for her, he may make himself unclean. He shall not make himself unclean as a husband among his people and so profane himself. They shall not make bald patches on their heads, this is to the priests, nor shave the edges of their beards, nor make any cuts on their body. They shall be holy to their God and not profane the name of their God. For they offer the Lord's food offerings, the bread of their God. Therefore, they shall be holy. They shall not marry a prostitute, or a woman who has been defiled. Neither shall they marry a woman divorced from her husband, for the priest is holy to his God. You shall sanctify him, for he offers the bread of your God. He shall be holy to you, for I, the Lord, who sanctify you, am holy. And the daughter of any priest, if she profanes herself by whoring, profanes her father, she shall be burned with fire. Man, don't want to be a priest's daughter. Uh, The priest who is chief among his brothers on whose head the anointing oil is poured and who has been consecrated to wear the garments shall not let the hair of his head hang loose nor tear his clothes. He shall not go in in to any dead bodies nor make himself unclean even for his father or for his mother. He shall not go out of the sanctuary lest he profane the sanctuary of his God for the consecration of the anointing oil of his God is on him. I am the Lord. He shall take a wife in her virginity, a widow or a divorced woman or a woman who has been defiled or a prostitute. These he shall not marry, but he shall take as his wife a virgin of his own people that he may not profane his offspring among his people. For I, the Lord, I am the Lord who sanctifies him. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron saying, none of your offspring throughout their generations who has any blemish may approach to offer the bread of his God. For no one who has a blemish shall draw near, a man blind or lame, one who has a mutilated face or a limb too long, or a man who has an injured foot or an injured hand or a hunchback or a dwarf or a man with a defect in his sight or an itching disease or scabs or crushed testicles. That's a good one. No man of the offspring of Aaron, the priest who has a blemish, shall come near to offer the Lord's food offerings since he has a blemish. He shall not come near to offer the bread of his God. He may eat of the bread of his God, both of the most holy and the 
most holy and of the holy things, but he shall not go through the veil or approach the altar because he has a blemish, that he may not profane my sanctuaries, for I am the Lord who sanctifies them. So Moses spoke to Aaron and his sons and to all the people of Israel. Chapter 21. Chapter 22 continues. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons so that they abstain from the holy things of the people of Israel, which they dedicate to me so that they do not profane my holy name. I am the Lord. Say to them, if any one of all your offspring throughout your generations approaches the holy things that the people of Israel dedicate to the Lord while he has an uncleanness, that person shall be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. None of the offspring of Aaron who has a leprous disease or a discharge may eat of the holy things until he is clean. Whoever touches anything that is unclean through contact with the dead or a man who has an omission of semen and whoever touches a swarming thing by which he is made unclean or a person from which he may take uncleanness from whatever his uncleanness may be, the person who touches such a thing shall be unclean until the evening and shall not eat of the holy things unless he has bathed his body in water." When the sun goes down, he shall be clean. And afterward, he may eat of the holy things because they are his food. He shall not eat what dies of itself or is torn by beasts and so make himself unclean by it. I am the Lord. They, they shall therefore keep my charge lest they bear sin for it and die thereby which they profane it. I am the Lord who sanctifies them. A lay person shall not eat of a holy thing. No foreign guest of the priest or hired worker shall eat of a holy thing. But if a priest buys a slave as his property for money, the slave may eat of it. And anyone born in his house may eat of his food. If a priest's daughter marries a layman, she shall not eat of the contribution of the holy things. But if a priest's daughter is widowed or divorced and has no child, returns to her father's house as in her youth, she may eat of her father's food. Yet no lay person shall eat of it. And if anyone eats of a holy thing unintentionally, he shall add the fifth of its value to it and give the holy things to the priests. They shall not profane the holy things of the people of Israel, which they contribute to the Lord, and so cause them to bear iniquity and guilt by eating their holy things. For I am the Lord who sanctifies them. So it's all about the priests. I'm gonna finish up with this. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons and all the people of Israel and say to them, when anyone of the house of Israel or the sojourners in Israel presents a burnt offering as his offering for any of their vows or freewill offerings that they offer to the Lord, it is to be, if it is to be accepted for you, it shall be a male without blemish of the bulls or the sheep or the goats. You shall not offer anything that has a blemish for it will not be acceptable for you. When anyone offers a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord to fulfill a vow or as a freewill offering from the herd of the flock to be accepted, it must be perfect. There shall be no blemish in it. Animals blind or disabled or mutilated or having a discharge or an itch or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord or give them to the Lord as food offering on the altar. You may present a bull or a lamb that has a part too long or too short for a freewill offering, but for a vow offering, it cannot be accepted." Any animal that has its testicles bruised or crushed or torn or cut, you shall not offer to the Lord. You shall not do it within your land. Neither shall you offer as the bread of your God any such animals gotten from a foreigner. Since there's a blemish in them because of their mutilation, they will not be accepted for you. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, when an ox or sheep or goat is born, it shall remain seven days with its mother. And from the eighth day on, it shall be acceptable as a food offering to the Lord. But you shall not kill an ox or a sheep and her young in one day. And when you sacrifice a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord, you shall sacrifice it so you may be accepted. It shall be eaten on the same day. You shall leave none of it until morning. I am the Lord. So 
you shall keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord. You shall not profane my holy name that I may be sanctified among the people of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. And I thank you that's living and active. Even Leviticus 21, 22. Thank you that it shows us and it points us and leads us to Jesus, who this is all about. Jesus, would you come? Holy Spirit, help us to hear from you tonight. Man, we don't wanna just hear my thoughts, God. We need you to come, Holy Spirit, and to speak. Would you, would you convict and give faith and, and glorify Jesus? Help us, Lord. It's in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you guys have been with us uh, for even a couple of weeks, what we just read probably sounds familiar, right? Anyone like, yeah, we've, we know this. We've talked about priests. We've talked about sacrifices like, let's go, God. Like, let's do something new. Let's be a little more interesting. Honestly, that's how I felt because I'm like, I've already taught on all these offerings. I've already taught on the priests and what they're supposed to do and what they're not supposed to do and how many days you're supposed to wait. And so I was really wrestling, guys, with like, God, why are Leviticus 21 and 22 in the Bible? Why are they even here, God? That's, I mean, maybe that's how we felt about Leviticus at all. So I just have like been wrestling and praying and uh, God just reminded me, hey, sometimes, listen, this is important. We think when we come to church or we open our Bible to spend time with Jesus, this is what I think. I need something new right now. I need something new, right? I need to, I want to find a story. I'm like, no, I never heard that story. That's amazing. That's what I want. And, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with reading like, the book of Numbers, for example, or Judges, you're like, wow, this, these are crazy stories. Um, but more often than not, what we need with Jesus is not something new. It's we need, we need to remember what we already know. That's like actually really important. You need to remember what you already know. You need to remember what you already know. Peter, 2 Peter 1, 12, Peter said this, therefore, I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are established in the truth you now have. I think it right, as long as I'm the body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Do you know that God loves to stir you up to remember things you already know about himself, about his character, about Jesus? That's really important. And so these two chapters, honestly, what they are, they're a summary of pretty much like the first 14 chapters of Leviticus. That's what they are. God's like, hey, don't forget this stuff. There's these kind of two points. He's saying, don't forget that your priests have to be holy and without blemish. Don't forget that. Hey, and don't forget your sacrifices, they need to be perfect and holy and without blemish. That's really important. Do you know why? Because when we get really familiar with God and familiar with his word and familiar with coming to church and familiar with singing songs, you're like, I know that song, I know that truth. Do you know what starts to happen? We, like, we stop just honoring this thing. Like we want this to be the best. Here's an example. When you know a song or you've, you've been to church many times, uh, when we start to worship God, what we can do is like, yeah, I know this. This is familiar. I know I'm just gonna do my thing. And that happened in Israel. All of a sudden, guess what they started offering? They started offering their worst lamb that had like its leg too short. Cause like, what am I gonna do with this lamb? It's gonna make bad babies. All these babies are gonna have limbs too short. Like I don't want, and they would start to just like try and get rid of like their worst and started giving that to God. Like, yeah, I'm gonna do my sacrifice. I'm gonna worship. I'm gonna be with Jesus. I know I'm supposed to do that. But like, I kind of just wanna like 
get, get it done, get it over with. Like, I want to get rid of my worst lamb. And so when we start to like just become so familiar and, and we don't remember, God is like, I am holy. Don't forget, I am holy. I am perfect. Don't forget your priests have to be holy and perfect. Don't forget your sacrifices. Do you know what that means? Your offering to the Lord. I want that to be blameless. Don't just give me your leftovers. And that's what we do. Like that is what we do. And so God wants to remind us in these two chapters, hey, your, your priests and your sacrifices have to be holy. And, and this actual summary of those two points, you guys, that actually sums up almost the whole story of the Bible. Let that blow your mind. And so here's what we're gonna do. The game plan for tonight is uh, 10 points, just 10 quick points. Uh, it's a, and we're gonna sum up these two chapters, but I'm gonna show you how these two chapters sum up the whole Bible, okay? They actually do. I'm gonna remind you, we're together gonna re- be reminded of things that we've probably heard and that we, they're so important, you guys. So that's what we're gonna do. 10 points, you ready? You ready for this? 10 quick points. Uh, point number one, something is off in the world. Something is off. Things are not right Things are broken. We know this intuitively. Honestly, no matter what religion, no matter what you believe, everyone is willing to acknowledge like, yeah, things are messed up. This world is broken. Every religion is trying to offer like a way to make things better, a way to make your soul better, a way to get right with God, to, to receive that like shalom that the Jews talked about. We know that. We're all trying to make it right again. Um, that's honestly what even feels like secular humanism, just ultimate secular, I don't believe in God, they're acknowledging this idea of progress. Things can get better. We can make things better if we just learn enough and educate enough. And with all of our efforts and technology, we're going to finally reach it. We're going to reach a better world. Uh, When you read Leviticus, you get a pretty good sense like something is off in the universe. There is so much blood everywhere. You're like, what is this? Why all the blood? All this sacrifice and animals and death, all these rules, like just pages and pages of rituals. Like, why does this even have to exist? Why does it have to exist? Because things are broken. Because things are broken. This entire system of sacrifices and priests wouldn't even need to exist if something wasn't deeply wrong in the universe. Like God didn't create the universe like, okay, here's what I want to do. I want you guys to hang out with me. So every day I just want you to kill a bunch of stuff and then we'll hang out. That's not wasn't his plan, right? His plan was you used to be able to walk and look at God and talk to God. That's how things were. Things were right. And then we rebelled. We're like, no, I don't want God's ways. I want my own ways. I'm smarter than God. I I think I have the way to life. And what actually happened that moment when we rebelled is the first of millions upon millions of deaths. That's what happened. Death sacrifice, blood is a result of brokenness, of sin that the Bible talks about. And um, here's, here's why this is important, even just to sum up the story of the Bible. Do you know what the entrance exam, I've said this before, the entrance exam, if you want to follow Jesus, do you know what the entrance exam is? I am a failure and I'm broken. Do you know that? You actually have to like enter your relationship with God willing to be like, yeah, me, I'm broken. I'm not okay. I don't have it all together. I'm not enough. I'm not enough and I don't have what it takes to make things right. If I'm the captain of my own ship in life, I'm gonna wreck it. And then I have been wrecking it. I need help. 
the very first of the Beatitudes Jesus said is, blessed are the poor in spirit. So if you want to follow Jesus, let's just be reminded together. We have to say, I am broken. I am not okay. I need God. I need God. First point, quick. Second point is this. Though things are broken, God wants to be with you still. Though you are broken, God wants to be with you. Though we are sinners and broken, God loves us and loves you right now in your brokenness. And he wants to be with you. In uh, chapter 22, verse 33, look what God says. He says, I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. God is like, I see brokenness. These people are enslaved. It's a picture of you and me enslaved to our sin. And guess what he does? I want to rescue them. I want to be with them. In your worst moments, in your worst sin, God is like, I want to be with you. I want to be with you. And he uses his mighty arm and he rescues broken people. That's what he does. And so he rescues them. He wants to be with them, but there's a problem because we know God is holy, right? Like the sun, it's a good example. God is holy like the sun, it's perfect. Uh, what happens when you hang out with the sun? Like not, if you go to the sun, it's not good. You, you cannot survive. God is like that. God loves us, but he's holy. And so when we're like, God, I wanna hang out with you, like we die. That's, that's just inherently what happens. We are not holy, he is holy. The closer we get, we burn up. So God says, okay, They've messed this thing up. I want to be with them. So I got I to gotta create a system of mediators. That's a key word in the Bible. It's a key theme in the Bible. Mediators. God is holy and loves us. And so we have to have someone else better than us, blameless and holy, go between God and us. That's what has to happen. God's like, I love them. What can I do? Okay, I'm going to make mediators. And so I'm going to make these things called priests. And they're going to represent all the people and they're going to go in between me and them. It was kind of a bummer. You couldn't just go hang out with God, but you wouldn't want to just go hang out with God because you would die. So we needed a mediator, priests, right? This is, we're remembering this. And then the priests aren't enough. They have to have these things called a sacrifice. A sacrifice is another type of mediator between us and God, specifically a substitutionary sacrifice, meaning I'm not holy and I deserve to be punished. But this thing out here will be my substitute. This thing will take all of my sin and God will punish it. And in some sense, at that moment, I'm declared clean. So God is like, I love these people. Even though they're unholy, I'm gonna provide mediators to be with them. The whole Bible is full of mediators, prophets, Moses, people going in between God and people. And so he provides priests. Look at uh, Leviticus 21, verse 23. This is, kind of sums this whole thing up. 21, 23, God's talking about the priest and he says, but listen, he shall not go through the veil or approach the altar because he has a blemish. Meaning, okay, God's provided these mediators, but guess what? The mediators themselves were broken. That's a problem, right? Because like, okay, I want to make this whole system. And I set everything up. Turns out the mediators are broken. I want to offer these sacrifices. Turns out the sacrifices are not enough. And here's, this is cool. We get this deep in us as humans. 
We have this longing for someone who's better than us to come and make things right. We have this longing for a hero, for someone a, like a rescuer, a champion. Like in, in a lot of great movies and stories, there's always this like, man, things are not right, but this hero steps up and they can make things right. We, that's, like, that's like a lot of our great stories. And you know um, what almost every time that great hero's act of making things right is, you know what it almost always is? It's an act of sacrifice. Do you know that? We get that. It's an act often of their very own life. Like the best stories, the best heroes, they lay their life down to make things right. Like we get that. We get things are off. We need a hero. We need them to give the greatest price, pay the greatest price and make things right. To make things right. That's the greatest display of love. So we, we know that that's in us. But uh, the problem is the priests and the sacrifices, we couldn't pull it off. We couldn't pull it off. The priests were never perfect. Uh, the sacrifices were never perfect. And then to be honest, you know what happened? We just stopped trying to obey God in the first place. We're just kind of like, oh, this is just so much stuff. These other gods, like, let me kind of live the way I want. And I don't, like, have to do all these sacrifices. This is better. Let's go over here. And so the story of the Bible is God pursuing, providing, and us like, mm, this is kind of too much. And we see the progression of Israel. Eventually, they, like, abandon the temple. It gets destroyed. They're in exile. It's not good. Like, this whole plan of mediators and sacrifices and priests, it does not go well. It does not go well. And side note, isn't that life too? Like our greatest heroes, the people who we love and we want to put our hope in, like they let us down. They can't pull it off. People can't pull it off. Uh, Things are still broken. And that's because God was getting us ready. If you've ever read through the Bible, like start to finish, there's a point where you're like, I am so sick of this. Where is Jesus? Seriously, when do we get to Jesus? In that, you just keep reading and it's brokenness upon brokenness upon brokenness. That's actually God's design. He actually did all of this to create this longing in us for a greater, better hero, a greater and better priest, a greater and better sacrifice. And that was actually God's plan all along. I know that I'm gonna send myself, God, I'm, I'm God, going to come for them. And I will be the, the high priest who's perfect. And I will be the sacrifice that is perfect. And I, with my own blood and my own hands, will make things right in the world. All of Leviticus, all of this remember and this blood, it's, it's getting our hearts and our souls ready for Jesus. Ready for Jesus. Listen, when you're trying to follow Jesus and you can't pull it off, guess what that's supposed to remind you of? I'm not the one who's pulling this whole thing off. I'm not the hero. I need a better person, a better priest. I need a better sacrifice. I need someone else to lay their life down for me. You guys, we so often think the main thing about being a Christian is like pulling it off. That's what we think. When I get up, am I pulling it off? Did I pull it off today? When I lay my head down, did I pull it off today? The answer is no, you didn't pull it off. You did not pull it off. Even if you're like giving your whole life for the poor and just you're perfect, that, that, uh, those acts are like, what's the word? What am I thinking of? Dirty, filthy rags. Even your righteousness, it's not enough to pull it off. And so when we 
try to follow Jesus. When you come in here on Friday night, you're like, I want to worship. I'm like, I can't quite pull it off in my heart. When you're like, I want to read my Bible today. And you're like, ah, just why? That is designed to push you to Jesus, to fix your eyes on a better high priest, to fix your heart on a better sacrifice. This is all about Jesus. This is always about Jesus. He was the perfect, blameless, never sinned high priest. And he was the only one who was able to pay the price. These two chapters, you better have a perfect priest and you better have a perfect sacrifice that's getting us ready for Jesus. Okay, point number three. Uh, That, sorry, I didn't announce that. That was point number three. God sends his son Jesus as the perfect priest and the perfect sacrifice. God sends his son. This is all getting us ready for Jesus. That's point number three. Number four is this, okay? What does this mean for me? What does this mean? Number four, if you trust in Jesus, guys, I'm about to say something that's unbelievable. You have been made perfect. Just, if you trust in Jesus, you have been made perfect. There's a a fun theological word if you're into that. It's called justified. You have been made perfect. I'm going to read you Leviticus 16.30. For it is on this day that atonement shall be made for you. You will be clean from all your sins. And Hebrews 10 says this, for by a single offering, because ready for this, this is going to blow your mind. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. If you trust in this high priest and this sacrifice, God looks at you right now and says, they're perfect. I see them as perfect. Guys, that's insane. That's unbelievable. Do you know why that's unbelievable? Because we know like I'm not perfect though. I know what I've thought and done today. Do you know why you're declared perfect? Why you're declared absolutely perfected for all time? Because God's actually not looking at you. Guess what he's looking at? He's looking at Jesus. He's looking at the perfect high priest. He's looking at the perfect sacrifice. And so when you trust in Jesus, you're covered in the blood. You know that picture? He sees Jesus in you and he says, you are absolutely justified, perfect right now. When you come in to worship and you have all your baggage, he looks at you and he says, you are perfect. I've made you perfect. You're forgiven. You're cleansed right now, once and for all. You are justified. You have been made perfect. And there's a, there's like a second step to this, okay? And this is point number five. So once you trust in Jesus, though you are perfect, you are also in process, okay? This is, well, though, though you were made perfect, you are also in process. There's another theological word for this called sanctification. I'm gonna read you Leviticus 22, 31. You shall keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord. You shall not profane my holy name that I may be sanctified. That means set apart among the people of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. And then Hebrews 10, 14, that verse I just read. By a single offering, he is perfected for all time. You ready? Those who are being sanctified. So right now, you're perfect and you're being made perfect. It's a kind of a mind-blowing thing. Right now, if you're a Christian, you're covered in the blood of Jesus, you're perfect. And you're being made perfect. 
right? You are being made perfect. Uh, This is a paradox. Often church history kind of just gets one or the other. We just tend to like one and not the other. Uh, Right now you are a sinner and you're a saint. Did you know that? Right now you're justified, made perfect, and you're in process, sanctified. Right now you are simultaneously absolutely perfect, loved by God, and you have this sinful nature that is growing, that is in process. Both of those things are true. Okay, now here's a couple errors. This is kind of have to balance this. Uh, we can't be, here's a fancy word, antinomian. That's what some people do. They're like, sweet, when I come to Jesus, I'm perfect. I don't have to do anything ever again. I'm perfect. It's done. It's finished in Christ. I'm just going to go live my life. Thank you, Jesus. I'm good. I know I'll, God's always going to forgive me, so it doesn't really matter what I do. Thank you, God, for the cross. This is a fancy word called antinomianism. That's not true. Because though you are perfect, you are still in process. And Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. If you really love God, you will obey his commands. So we can't just do whatever we want. But here's the other side. Uh, You cannot, though you are declared perfect, it's a process. So here's another big error. And it's right now, you guys, in many it's popping up all over. Uh, there's no such thing as Christian perfectionism. You can't like make it. You can't arrive. I'm good. I'm sanctified. No more work. I'm chilling. Because of what Jesus has done for me, I no longer have to work. I no longer have to strive to be holy. Because he says, uh, by that will, we have been sanctified. But then it says, who are being sanctified. So this is, this is dangerous because it sounds like really good news. Man, if you come to Jesus, you can, you can get, this, get to this point where, like, you are good. You don't have to worry anymore. People like this will tend to emphasize, like, yeah, you're not a sinner anymore. That's all gone. All of this flesh is all gone. The Bible says you are declared perfect, but you are still experiencing, you're still walking in this flesh, this body that's broken. When you see Jesus, you'll be made perfect. You'll be given a new body. But until then, it's a struggle. Until then, though you've been made right with God, you will be daily, slowly growing and failing and then coming back to Jesus. You will not be made perfect uh, in that sense of I no longer have to try anymore. Paul says this, I don't mean to say I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. So the Christian life is on the one hand, I get to come in to the presence of God and know, man, I'm forgiven once and for all and I'm declared perfect. And I press on. I press on to follow Jesus. I press on slowly. And so the next five points, you guys, is this. The process of sanctification. How do I press on to know more of Jesus? How do I press on? What do I do? What, what do I do to, to grow as a Christian? Okay, I'm going to remind you of these things. I'm going to remind you of these things. And you know what? Let's start over. Five points, okay? This is nice. How do I grow? How do I get sanctified? This is the, this is the best one. First thing is you abide in Christ. You hang out with Jesus. You know, the first most important thing you can do every day is sit and be with Jesus. The most important thing you can do is actually not doing anything for Jesus. It's being with Jesus in his presence. The whole point of Leviticus was to bring you to God. That's the whole point. 
The whole point was to be with God. Remember the tabernacle? It was God's presence in the midst of the camp because God wants to dwell with his people. Do you know what God wants from you more than anything else? He wants to dwell with you. He wants to be with you. And the best way you can glorify God is to just be with him, to hang out with him. That's honestly, uh, that's why I love this name that we have for Friday nights because there's many things to do. There's many homeless people and many problems and many things we need to do in the world. But do you know what we need to do more than anything else? Is to sit and be with Jesus. To sit and enjoy Jesus. There's a story of two sisters, Mary and Martha, if you guys know about it. And Martha's like, Jesus, come hang out at my house. And she's doing all this stuff. And she's kind of annoyed because her sister's just sitting there with Jesus. And she's like, hey, Jesus, could you tell my sister like to help out? And Jesus says, Martha, you're distracted from, with much serving. And your sister is doing what matters most. You guys, it can actually be really dangerous to just serve Jesus. It would be dangerous, actually, because what he wants from you more than anything is to be with him, to sit and abide in his presence. If you want to grow in, in sanctification, this is what you need to do. You need to wake up and you need to be with Jesus. You need to wake up and be with Jesus. Uh, before you go do anything for him, you need to accept his love for you, like right now, before you do something for him, accept your, his grace for you. Um, imagine, so imagine uh, if all I ever did for my wife is just like serve her. Like we haven't hung out. It's been like weeks. And I'm like, no, babe, let me just do the dishes real quick and let me make the house clean and let me set up dinner. And then we sit down to eat dinner and I'm like, oh no, I, I forgot this. And I'm like, she's like, okay, that's cool. Thanks. But like, I just kind of want to be with you though. Like I want to actually hang out. That's how God is. He actually doesn't need our stuff. He doesn't need our service. He's the one who gave you all these gifts. He's fine. He's in heaven. What he wants from you is to be with you. That's why that famous verse, Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. I, and then he says, I'm going to be exalted in the earth. I will be exalted. I got that covered. The world, I've got it. I'm going to finish my task, my mission. You need to be still and be with me. It's the first way we grow in sanctification. Number two, or point seven, uh, we repent of our sin. We repent of our sin. We acknowledge, I need a priest. I need a sacrifice. I am not right. I have failed, and I need to own my sin. Um, our generation, like we're into justice, right? Like if you are here last week, we talked about all the different things the Bible calls us to do. That's cool and that's right. Um, and I had a good friend text me this tweet from a pastor in Long Beach and this is, this is right and it stings. He says, this generation wants to stand up for the marginalized, the refugees and women's rights, but no one wants to stand up and own their sin and repent. How about that? That's true. That is true. I want to serve you, Jesus, and I want to defend the, the, the poor and the marginalized. But yeah, my sin, I'm not really willing to acknowledge that and repent of that. Like you guys, spiritual maturity starts with I'm repenting of my sin. I'm owning my sin. When we're like, oh yeah, I got like this over here, but look at all this stuff I'm doing for Jesus. Jesus, he says, I hate your sacrifices. Stop doing this stuff. Jesus doesn't want you just to serve him. He wants you to acknowledge your need for him and confess your sin to him. 
uh, Martin Luther, pretty smart guy, he says, the, oh, this is good. So you remember the whole 95 Theses things? Because uh, the church was just about all these different things. His first theses, the first thing he nailed to the door is this. He says, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he intended that the entire life of believers should be repentance. Meaning every day with Jesus, you come to him and you say, Jesus, I've failed, I've sinned, I repent. I failed, I've sinned, I repent. And then do you know what we do? Then we remember the sacrifice that was made for our sin. And we remember those things that we've already talked about. No, I'm forgiven, I'm accepted, I'm covered in the blood. I, didn't, I don't earn his love. I'm a son or daughter of God. And then we move on, we repent. Uh, it's really tempting to just like move, to go through the motions. It's really tempting to like do the right stuff and come to church and sit through sermons and worship and go like serve the world. Um, but like inside, I'm not really willing to admit that like I'm not okay though. Like I'm, I'm dealing with sin. Like I'm dealing with temptation and I'm not willing to tell my brother or sister like this is going on. You guys, pretty much right after spend time with Jesus, it's I'm confessing my sin to him and I'm repenting. Uh, First John says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. From all unrighteousness. He then says, my little children, I'm writing things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Okay, so when you sin, guess what? Jesus has your back and he's going to the Father like, no, I'm, I'm for him. He's covered in my blood. He advocates for you. When you sin and Satan is just lying to you and condemning you and telling you you're filthy, you're dirty, you're unclean, God doesn't love you, guess what Jesus is doing? He's advocating for you, saying that's not true. He's covered, she's covered in my blood. I love them, I died for them. I died for them. So like us not admitting our sin, trying to cover our sin this way, like it's never gonna be dealt with. And that, like, keeping it in the dark is the enemy's realm. He wants it to be, don't tell anybody, don't confess it. Imagine what they'll think of you if you confess your sin. And Jesus is like, get it in the light. I'm your advocate. Get it out, and I will, con- I will cover you with my blood. And this is why for second set, when we worship, we have a prayer team, and why we encourage you guys, hey, healing comes when you confess your sin to one another. Healing comes James says, confess your sin and pray for one another that you may be healed, that you may be healed. Don't be like Adam and Eve, like, nope, I gotta cover this up. I can't tell anybody about this. Like literally tonight, literally tonight, what if you confess your sin to a brother or sister and reminded each other, hey, Jesus died for you and you're loved and you're forgiven. You guys, there's such healing and freedom in that so we confess our sin. Number three, let me remind you the next thing that is so important. You read and meditate and memorize the word of God. Remember the priests, they had like this bread that they ate every day. Do you know what that represents? Jesus says, hey, man doesn't live by bread alone. The whole bread in the, in the temple thing, that's a picture of you need my word. You need my word. Remember when God just gave them manna every single day in the wilderness? Why do you give them manna every day? Because we you need to be in the word of God every day. Listen, if you try to store up your manna, do you know this? It would go rotten. Like, oh, I'm just gonna get enough manna for two days. The second day, it's rotten. If you go one day without reading God's word, it starts to rot like you need fresh manna every single day. 
David said, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. We know this. It's a reminder, but it's essential. This is how we spend time with Jesus. This is how we hear from Jesus. How we he- this, is, this right here is the Holy Spirit's favorite tool for speaking to you. This right here is the Holy Spirit's favorite tool. Two more. This is going to be a little bit harder. Uh, commit to a church. Commit to a church. Uh, there was no solo, just I'm walking with God, Israelite. Like, I don't need the rest of the tribes. I've got this. I have my own little sacrificial system over here. I don't need to go into the main one. I'm good. You guys, we thankfully don't have to make sacrifices. We thankfully don't have priests anymore. But you, if you're a Christian, belong to the body of Christ. You actually belong to the body of Christ. Um, I think maybe apart from repentance, this may be one of the biggest struggles of our generation because we think, no, I just want to receive from here, receive from over here. I like this kind of worship. I like this kind of teaching. Like, I'm good. And, And we treat our walk with God as if it's just me and God. And God says, no, I've connected you to my body. I'm the head. And I've given you different gifts and you need one another. And the one member can't say to the others, I don't need you. We can't say that. And listen, a church is not a couple of your friends hanging out with Jesus. That's awesome. Do it. That's not the church. The church has elders that you are submitting to. It has old people. and has people that you don't really like how they dress. And it has babies. That's a church. And it gathers once a week together. It's not wrong to hang out with your friends. That's not a church. That's not the church. Jesus made one institution, and it was the church. And we need to hear, hey, commit to a church, a real church with real shepherds that you submit to, with real people that you don't like. Like, honestly, it's kind of awkward. Like, it's kind of awkward. We don't all like, we stand next to each other and we're just, we're not going to look alike. And that's actually what we need. Imagine if I'm like, Jesus, okay, I'll be a part of a group with only people who are like me and share my common interests. And I don't, uh, like, that, that's what I want for church. We love community, and we are hungry for community, our generation, but we can't commit to one. We want some of our friends, and we're like, That's, this is nice community. Do you guys know where community is formed from? Do you guys know why the army, here's a little, I'm going on a little rant, guys, but this is important. Do you know why the army has such deep friendships? Because they're not out to hang out with each other and form community every day. They're out on a mission fighting side by side. And this is like, this is some dude from some other place. I'm like, dude, why am I with you? But when you go to battle and you save each other's life, that forms community. Community is a byproduct, guys. It's not like something we go after. It's a byproduct. It happens when you are committed serving. If you want a real friend, it's going to happen as you are running after something else together, namely Jesus and serving his church. That's true community. Community isn't like, I just want people to love me and be nice to me and serve me. True community is I'm in and I'm laying my life down for these people. And they're laying their life down for me. That's real community. When we love community for its own sake, we kill it. We squish it. You guys need to commit to a church and be all in and be all in. Um, And you know what else? Your relationship with Jesus actually depends on that. Do you know that? Your relationship with Jesus depends on, if you read the book of Ephesians, it's all about, do you know how you grow into maturity? Through the church. 
through, you will reach full perfection when you are submitted together. Jesus is the head and we are all in. Like you, you need brothers and sisters in battle. Like you just do. You need to be shepherded and protected. You, you were designed to submit to authority. Do you know that? Our culture will never tell you that, but you were designed. You need, you need to be submitted to one another and to authority. God's design is that someone would have the right to say, hey, you're in the wrong. You're not living right. This isn't okay. You, we need that. We need that. It'd be like going to war without leaders and like a couple of your best friends. Like, that's not a good situation. It's not good. And do you know what else? Do you know how wolves hunt? Maybe you heard me say this. Do you know how wolves like to hunt? They go for people. They go for animals on the fringes, right? There's this whole pack of whatever they may be, caribou. And then there's this like solo one, like, nah, I'm fine. I'm over here by myself. Bulls are like, that's our prey. And all the prey know their safety in numbers. Do you know our enemy prowls around like a roaring lion? And do you know who he loves to attack? Christians who are like, no, I don't need church. I got my own little thing. My friends, like, you are so vulnerable when you're not submitted to this community of shepherds looking out for you. You are so vulnerable. And so just out of love for you, submit and commit to a church. Be all in. It doesn't have to be this one. You can come on Friday nights. This isn't really of a church. This is like a, a fun gathering. Commit to a church. Uh, all your giftings, I said this earlier, the reason why Jesus gave you gifts was to serve the church. First Peter 4, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Uh, the church doesn't exist to serve you in your gift growth. It's not why the church exists. You exist with your gifts to serve the church. At the same time, like plugging into a church is the absolute best way to grow in your gifts. It's absolutely the best way. You guys, you have gifts right now that you don't even know that you have. And you'll never know you have until you've gone a long distance serving a community and then needs arise or someone's like, hey, will you do this? Or I think you'd be good at this. Like you need the church around you to develop and grow your gifts. Guys, I went 22 years in church and didn't even know or would ever imagine that I would love to teach the Bible. Literally 22 years. And it was through serving junior hires, which is not like, that's a struggle for me. It was through serving junior hires and the, like a year in, the, the pastor's like, hey, I'm going on vacation. Will you teach? And I'm like, I guess. And I'm stressed. And it was a horrible sermon. And, but there was something in me that was like, wait, that was kind of life-giving. And then this gift was grown and developed. That happens when you submit to and serve a church. And the last one is this. And this is what Leviticus is all about. You're called to pursue, let me remind you of this. You're called to pursue holiness. God wraps all this up. He says, you shall keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord. You shall not profane my holy name that I may be sanctified among the people of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. God set you apart. He has set you apart to be holy. And when it talks about these priests, they were to be set apart in how they did their relationships. They were set apart in how they were to have their marriages. They are set apart in how they handled their physical body, literally how they dressed. Every part of you is to be set apart to honor God, for he is holy. God calls us to pursue and run after holiness. Now, how does that go? Honestly, not that good. We're not great at it. 
That's what brings us all the way back to, oh yeah, but Jesus came and I can be forgiven. And now I'm gonna go press on to be holy. I'm gonna go press on to be holy. Um, we're about to worship. And I just, there's this one little picture in these verses that is beautiful. And it, it gives us a picture of um, the most important thing in the Bible. You would never know it. But in chapter 22, verse 27, uh, it talks about when a little like goat or whatever is born. It says this in, tw- in 22, 27, 28. When an ox or sheep or goat is born, it shall remain seven days with its mother. And from the eighth day on, it shall be acceptable as a food offering. But you shall not kill an ox or a sheep and her young in one day. Okay, what is that? Uh, it's, a, it's kind of a random thing. Like, I guess it's nice. Like, you shouldn't just kill a baby and its mom at the same time. Let, them, let it be eight days old and then you can kill it. But this, this is a picture. There's a reason. Because uh, when you take a newborn from any animal, you take it from its mom, its mom or its, its parent, like it, it does not enjoy that experience. If you guys ever seen Blackfish, it talks about the, the whales, like, and they took their babies and the moms are just like crying out. God wanted that to happen. He said, no, you can't kill them both. You need to take that baby from its parent. And everyone's gonna see that parent mourning as that young animal is going to be sacrificed. Because you know what that's a picture of? That's a picture of the father who gave his son for you, for us as the perfect sacrifice. The father actually gave his son for your and my sin. And he grieved. And listen, in Romans eight thirty two, it says, he, God, who didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You guys, God, the father loves you enough that though you were broken, he sent his son and he gave him as a perfect sacrifice and the perfect priest for your sin. Right now you are perfect in Jesus, but you're also called to pursue him in holiness. You're called to be with him. You're called to read your Bible. You're called to submit and be a part of the church. You're called to confess your sin. So thankfully, at least five of those, we get to do that right now. We're gonna sit with Jesus. If all you need to do right now tonight is just sit in the presence of Jesus, do that. That's the best thing you can do. If you guys are like torn up and feeling guilty about sin, hey, confess it tonight. We have a prayer team who are anointed to pray for you, but maybe just confess to someone around you. You, It actually blesses the person to get to minister, to be the body of Christ, to pray and push you to Jesus. We're gonna worship Jesus who laid his life down for us. We know these things, but these are the main things as we pursue him. So let me pray for us and then we'll worship. Jesus, thank you for reminders of what matters most. Reminders that things are broken, but you love us. And so you made a way for us and you sent your son to die for us. And then you were perfect and we're forgiven and we're accepted. And yet we also have to grow and press on, press on to know you. And so Jesus, right now, would we do that? Would we press on to be sanctified? Would we just abide in your presence? Help us, give us a hunger and a thirst for the presence of God. Give us courage to not cover our sin, but to confess our sin and to be healed. May we never forget the picture of the cross that you would lay your life down for us. And now, Holy Spirit, just, man, help us to worship. 
Help us to press in, Lord. We don't want to miss this time. 